0: Hey, last week, uh, Brad began a series um, that we are calling Fake Gods. And he did so by posing the question, what do you call yours? It's based on a book called Your God is Too Small. One of my all-time favorite books absolutely shaped uh, my view of God and thereby um, my faith. Last week, um, Brad began to to break down some of the, the inadequate or the small gods. And I'd venture to say that if I were to ask you right now, to imagine God. If I I told you to close your eyes and just picture God, try to imagine his holiness, his character, his infitude, everything about God, we would all inevitably picture a God that is far too small. Because regardless of how imaginative we are, and we live in a world in which we can imagine a lot of things, um, we can never fully understand God. And see, our highest thoughts of God don't even begin to do him justice. They don't even begin to picture his greatness or begin to really explain what God truly is. And this is why in Romans, Paul wrote to us and he said, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? In the book of Isaiah, we read of people who wrongly reduced God to statues made of wood or gold or silver or other fallible materials. And while we aren't, as a people, necessarily guilty of worshiping a God made of wood, we certainly are guilty of worshiping a God that is far too small, a God who's merely a creation of our own mind. The people of Isaiah's day and the people of our day sort of share that similar sin, if you will. The God that we worship is more often than not, too small. So, just to recap a couple of the ones that Brad went through last week, um, we talked about the big man upstairs. You know, the, the old man upstairs sometimes is how we hear about it. And this is the guy who I picture to be sort of like a grandfather. Times we view God as though um, he's really old fashioned, if you will, not just old um, age, but old fashioned. And we kind of proved this um, several times. I don't know, several years ago, there was a study done, and they asked a group of teenagers. They went into this group of teenagers, and they gave them a question along these lines. They said, you know, without thinking, don't think about this question, just answer yes or no, the first thing that comes to your mind. And so they asked this group of teenagers, do you think God understands radar? And immediately, all of the teenagers answered no, because in their minds, they had related God to being old-fashioned. And radar was a newer technology, and that was something that God certainly couldn't relate to, and that was something that an old God wouldn't understand. It's interesting, if we're honest, I think we all seem to have this small conception of God. And truthfully, it's funny, um, I went and saw uh, some kids in my hometown put on a play, uh, what's the C.S. Lewis, somebody help me here. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Screw tape letters was good, but uh, it'd be an interesting play. Um, yes, uh, so I went and saw the Chronicles of Narnia, and as I was watching that play and, and all of the simile and the the analogy that's in that play, I thought, you know, we actually view God sometimes as an old guy with the long white beard sitting on some throne, and, and that's sort of the mental picture we get of God. Or well, if you. What's that? Yeah, yes, yes. And that's the. Uh, That's kind of the the conception we get of God. The other inadequate or small God we talked about last week was your conscience. And to many, this is just a nagging voice that gives warning against certain acts of behavior. Um, It gives all these, you know, uh, you should do this, you shouldn't do this kind of thing, the mental war that goes on in your head. And as God, as Brad, wow, that was a slip. As, yeah, wow. Wow. Should have recovered from that one better. As Brad told us last week, you know, the conscious conscience, man, I can't say that word, is certainly something to which we should be sensitive. However, it is inadequate to say that it is God. Others in that list included the parental hangover, the resident policeman, and one of my favorites is a way by which to escape. I think in in modern times, we live in a world that's so messed up, if you will, that we're always looking for the God who's going to hide us, who's going to shelter us, who's going to take us out of reality and allow us to hide under his wing, if you will. And while that's not necessarily an unhealthy view of God, it too is still a small view of God. We have reduced God, and it's sort of of like we've tamed him. We've put God in a cage, and we've trained him to our liking. He is on call to do our bidding or to, to answer our prayers, which are primarily about us and our needs and the things that we want and certain services that we desire. And in this sense, we've sort of taken God and made him manipulated by man. We've made him in our minds to be somebody who does what we want him to do and stays out of the way in the box the rest of the time when we don't want him to interfere with what it is that we're doing. And this inadequate conception of God pictures him merely as someone who can be called on in a time of trouble, called on when we want him, protect us in our time of needs, but lets us be. A.W. Tozer um, once said that what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about a person. I love that. I assert that that these things, these conceptions that we've talked about already, these views are not only inadequate, but they're also dangerous. They're a dangerous way for us to live our lives. Since what we believe about God is so vital, we must constantly be on guard against worshiping a God that is too small. If we're worshiping any God that's smaller than the biblical God, then we're guilty just as the people of Isaiah were. We're worshiping a God that is smaller, and that is, in fact, idolatry, is it not? If we're worshiping a God other than the God of the magnitude of the biblical God, we're committing idol- idolatry. And I think that's something we're probably all guilty of if we were to be honest with ourselves. In fact, I maintain that as Christians, one of the greatest responsibilities that we have is to elevate our own concept of God. One of our greatest responsibilities is to promote and to increase our own understanding of God. And this can only be accomplished by learning about the God of the Bible. And so this evening, what I want us to do for the remainder of our time here is to reframe our concept of God. Last week, we spent some time breaking down all the misconceptions, and this week, I want to build back up and attempt to touch on the real God, the true and the living God that we find within the scriptures. So in the 17th chapter of Acts, we find the transcript of Paul's sermon on Mars Hill which is in Athens, and in this same sermon, he was attempting to do exactly what what we said we're going to do here this evening. He was trying to reveal to a group of people who have limited their scope of God, he's trying to reveal the true and the living God to them. So, Paul begins to tell his listeners that the true God created the universe and everything that was in it. Next, he conveyed the idea that he continues to sustain the entire universe by his own power and everything in it, and he provides for the needs of all living things. He then identified God as the father of mankind and asserted that that men, that us, we are his offspring. The message described him as personal, eternal, and loving. And this is to a group of people who had previously and and to that point viewed God as distant and to be called on in a a time of need. So in Acts chapter 17, uh, if you'll read with me, we're going to start in verses 22 Uh, through 31. It is plain to see that you Athenians take your religion seriously. When I arrived here the other day, I was fascinated with all the shrines that I came across, and then I found one inscribed, to the God that nobody knows. I'm here to introduce you to this God so that you can worship him intelligently, know who you're dealing with. The God who made the world and everything in it, this master of sky and of land, doesn't live in custom-made shrines or need the human race to run errands for him as if he couldn't take care of it himself. He makes the creatures. The creatures don't make him. It's powerful. Starting from scratch, he made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living so we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. He doesn't play hide and seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. We live and we move in him. We can't get away from him. One of your poets said it well We are the God created. Well, if we are the God created, it doesn't make a lot of sense to think that we could hire a sculptor to chisel a God out of stone for us, does it? God overlooks it as long as you don't know any better. But that time has passed. The unknown is now known, and he's calling for a radical life change. He has set a day when the entire human race will be judged and everything set right. And he has already appointed the judge, confirming him before everyone by raising him from the dead. I don't normally read from the message, as you guys know, but I love the way that the message says, if we are the God created... It doesn't make a lot of sense that we could hire a sculptor to erect a God for us. As I read that in various translations this week, I was compelled to use the message this evening just for that one line. If God created us, if we are a people created by God, then it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that we should get to create our own gods after the fact and that we should get to, to carve one out of stone or, or out of gold or wood or, or whatever else that we make it. We can't take God as this resident policeman. We t- can't take God as the parental hangover and, and put him on a throne in our lives in that sense instead of worshiping the God who made us and sustains the universe. See, if you and I had lived a thousand years ago, our concept of God would be so very different than what it is today. I, I'd venture to say that it would be smaller. We wouldn't have known of the other continents beyond the ocean. We wouldn't have known or understood the composition of the stars or, or the vastness of all of creation. With the knowledge that we possess of the sun and the planets and the billions and billions of stars that make up the universe and the galaxies and this, the endlessness of space, We, church, are in a position to appreciate the greatness of God better than any other generation, any other people in history. We see creation. We are aware of parts of creation that we never knew existed. And through the the microscope, you know, uh, Greg's a lab guy, through the microscope, we can see things that we never, the microscopic world that we didn't know existed. We see the world in in its magnificent function. It'd be nice if I could speak tonight, wouldn't it? In a world such as ours, we are in a position to see and to understand the greatness, and I'd say the genius of God in ways that no one else has ever done. And no one could have ever even began to guess. And all of that could seem to think that I'm, I'm framing God or painting God as somebody who's distant and in space and, and this great force that's way out there that we don't need to deal with. We might appreciate his power and his genius, but we don't really appreciate his personal concern for you and I. We don't understand how a God that can create the universe and sustain it and create all these things can still care about what has to be the size of a speck of dust in God's eyes, and that would be you and I. In his infinite wisdom, God sent Christ to earth that we might see him close at hand. We might better understand and see the personal nature of God. The Apostle John says um, that in John, one of my favorite scriptures says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. In Him was life and the life was light of men. And then it continues later to say that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and full of truth. And later Jesus added to this same passage, he said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. As a church, if we are to focus the telescope through which we view God, we really find out that through the Bible we actually have an understanding of God's personal nature. We can see that we really do know God because we have seen Christ in the flesh. Have we not? The scriptures tell us that we know how he lived. We know where he went, what he did, who he did it with, and even what he thought in some certain instances are recorded in the scriptures. Through that one book, we have descriptions of his attitude, of his values, the things he cared about, the things he gave himself to. If we're on a mission to be like someone, these are the kinds of things that we need to know about that person. And the Bible weighs all of that out for us. We have the revelation of the nature of God, God himself through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that God, in his infinite wisdom, knows the number of hairs on our head, which is amazing. The scriptures continue that a sparrow cannot live without his concern. It cannot fall without his concern. The scriptures tell us in another passage that the lilies of the field are clothed by God. Through Christ, we feel his love, we learn of his grace, and the infinite God is in focus. We can use that telescope, and if we focus it on God, instead of staring into the magnitude of creation, if we focus it on him, we can more fully see and more fully understand. And church, I think if Tozer was right in s- suggesting that what we view of God is the most important thing about us, I think, I think it is. I think he is right in that. And if he is, then isn't it important that we have an adequate, adequate view? This week, it's funny how God works sometimes. As I'm planning this message, it's always actually incredible how God works, but as I'm planning this message, I was doing some reading earlier in the week, and I actually received a text message, and I picked up my phone, I read it, and a girl actually asked me, how would you describe God. To which I responded, not via text. But, <laughs> but, but that left me pondering for the balance of the week as I wrote and prepared for this message. I think that if we were to study history, and I choose not to, but if we were going to study history, I really do believe that time has shown us that no people, no religion, no church, nobody has ever risen above their own view of God. No nation, certainly no religion. We've never gotten above the way in which we view God. That creates that glass ceiling for us. And today, worldview is is the the topic of, of conversation in just about every field. We hear a lot about it. But church, I really think that our view of God, our God view, if you will, is what paints and really gives the color of life to all in existence. I I truly believe, and I've reflected upon this a lot this week to make sure that I could say this statement honestly, but I believe that our view of God affects, of course, our religious belief, but I also believe it affects educational policy. I believe that what we view of God affects national policy and personal development as we go through childhood and adolescence and adulthood into maturity. Of paramount importance, though, the way we think about God, and specifically about his son, Jesus, affects our own personal salvation. It, views, it affects the way in which we view the salvation relationship that's promised us. And nothing can be more important than that. Therefore, nothing can be more important than our own thoughts about God. Am I right? Now, the problem I think today, if I was going to narrow it down, I think the problem is that we have become so self-focused. We've become so concerned with ourselves that after our conversion experience, if you will, after the time in which we were saved, we think very little about God. And instead, we spend all of our time, probably, definitely, to our detriment. We spend most of our time thinking about us. We spend very little time, we expend very little effort thinking about God and thinking about the magnitude and, and the greatness of God. One of the things I'm I'm an avid reader, as most of you know, so I spend a lot of time in bookstores. Um, despite having a Kindle and a Kindle app, I still love uh, to spend time in bookstores. And so I think, and Jake can tell me if I'm right here, as you, as you peruse a Christian bookstore even, there's a self-help section, almost inevitably. You find this self-help section, and so... Um, I was reading this week, I didn't do this personally, but I was reading this week about a guy who went through and looked at some of the titles of the self-help section. And here's some of the things that, that we see in this section. In a Christian bookstore, love yourself, the art of learning to love yourself. Living in your own shadow. You can feel good about yourself. I feel like I'm on Dr. Phil. But, and this whole... And this whole um, shelf full of hardbacks and paperbacks and Kindle books and every other source of of self-help books, there's only one title in that whole selection that made any sense to me as far as self-help. And it was simply titled, Leave Yourself Alone. (laughs) I have no idea what the book's about, but in (laughs) in my mind, it's God saying, I know what I'm doing, leave yourself alone. The tragedy in this whole situation, as funny as that is, that we are so preoccupied with ourselves that we never take the time to think of God. Let me say that even as Christians, we engage ourselves sometimes in, in spiritual thoughts, if you will, in spiritual truths, and this, this should be commended. But if we focus on the person of God, the person of the Almighty, and how the reality is that his great passion and person, his attributes, the way those relate to us, personally and individually, the way that those affect everything in our lives, I think we, our view of God can't help but expand. Sometimes we're guilty of viewing God as just a bigger person. It's sort of how a child views adults, I'm sure. As a young child, you view an adult as just a big you. You know, it's, it's a bigger person. And I think sometimes we view God in that way. We think that God is just a really, 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 really big me. And that God's sitting up there at some huge switchboard answering prayer requests and switching cables and listening to thousands of people at the same time. And it's some miracle by which he does that. And though God in and of himself is miraculous, to view him as a big Brett is certainly shorthanding God. To view him as a big Greg (laughs) will rock your foundation <laughs> in ways that you wouldn't believe. <laughs> very true, very true. But what I think is more amazing about that whole concept is that deep down, human nature, I think if we truly study ourselves, we all have this innate ability, this innate feeling, this desire, the knowledge that we were made for something deeper. I think we all know that. If we were truly honest with ourselves, we know this as Solomon writes, God has set eternity in our hearts. I believe that's in Ecclesiastes. And as Augustine has said, God has made us for himself, and our heart is restless until it rests in him. God has made us for himself, but our heart is restless until we rest in him. John Piper, who's another author I enjoy reading, posed an excellent question that I thought just summed up this whole idea. He asked the question, as he's trying to demonstrate um, the way in which our, our hearts long for something deeper, he asked the question, does anyone go to the Grand Canyon to enhance their own self-esteem? Think about that. And if not, why, why do they go? If we don't go to to enhance our own self-esteem, what is it that causes people to go to the Grand Canyon? Any of us, anyone who has visited the Grand Canyon, anyone who has stood next to the Niagara Falls or any of the other great wonders of this world can tell you that when they were there, you feel about this small. You feel as though you're not even important. You feel the last thing you're thinking about is self. I don't know of anybody who's ever stood next to the Niagara Falls and wanted to look in a mirror and see themselves because the beauty of God's creation is so overwhelming. It's, it's incredible. And for that reason, I think it's, it's simple, that the, the self was made to esteem for something bigger. It was made for something bigger than ourselves. The self, ourselves, was made to esteem to God. Isaiah attempts to point to something beyond himself when he tells us, lift up your eyes on high and behold who has created the stars. Isaiah 40, lift up your eyes on high and behold who has created the stars. I've talked a lot about the galaxies and the stars and the universe tonight, and it's something that just perplexes me. Whenever I'm having one of those days where I just feel like God couldn't possibly care about me, Whenever I'm having one of those days where I feel that, you know, God has abandoned me or that something is, is astray in my life, all you have to do is walk outside. Look around, look up, look down from the microscopic specimens to the magnitude of the skies and the galaxies. Isaiah, in that statement, was not pointing to yet another idol. He's not suggesting that, that we... Worship the stars, the created stars, but he points us rather to the one who has created the stars. Lift up your eyes on high and behold the one who has created these stars. And so, just so we don't misunderstand creation as simply an act of God setting the world into motion and, and spinning the earth, and so it continues today, Isaiah states that God leads forth their host by number, and he calls the stars all by name. That, my friends, is a big God. That's not a, that's not a big Brett sitting on a throne in heaven calling the stars by name. That is a big God. And contrary to the, to the inadequate gods that we talked about last week, you know, if you, if, if your view of God is, is a parental hangover, and you view your God as, as the father you never had, or, or the mother that raised you well, or, or any of those kind of things, your father, regardless of how great he is, does not call the stars by name. That is a big God. And this is such a staggering statement to me because scientific estimates range crazy. I tried to find an answer on this and they were, they were huge. But, but there's There's staggering estimates. One I saw today was hundreds of billions of galaxies in this universe. I have no idea how you even begin to measure that or who did the counting. But in each galaxy, this scientist reports that there are approximately 100 billion stars. Wow. God. Mm. That's 100 billion times 100 billion. I remember the day that my, I'm a math kind of person, and I remember the day that my world was expanded to learn the term Googleplex. And I I couldn't even tell you how many zeros that is anymore. I forget. But I guarantee you that 100 billion times 100 billion is more. God calls the stars, each and every one, by name. He numbers the hairs on your head and on my head. Even Greg's. I doubt he measures them but he, he does number them. And so, church, if I can leave us with anything tonight, I think as I view humanity, as I view creation, as I view us, I think what we do is we begin to look inside for strength. Here we are in the face of a God who has created and sustained the universe, and we begin to look inside for strength, and we'll never find it. We don't, and we never will. For looking inside for strength, as one author put it, is like casting your anchor inside the boat, which doesn't do you any good. Here's a formula that, that one author suggests, and I think we need to remember this. It's been a great, a great blessing to me. It says this To be occupied with self will bring despair. Some of you know what I'm talking about. To be occupied with self will bring despair. To be occupied with others will bring disappointment. But to be occupied with the Savior will bring delight. See, thinking about ourselves will lead you into despair, because we are but mortal, messed up beings. And to put our, to be occupied with the thoughts and the concerns of others will just disappoint us, as people often do. But to Know that we can occupy our thoughts and ourselves with the magnitude of a God who created and sustains the universe. That will bring delight. Church, I want to leave you saying this that God deserves more than what he gets from us. God deserves to be worshiped like he is a God that is unfathomable, not a God that we can create and sculpt within our own minds. God is supreme. And if God is supreme, he is supreme to us. Sorry. I don't know what just happened, but I'll go with it. Church, as we end tonight, I want to leave you with this one thought. As As a church, as a being, as humanity, we need to stop worshiping the God that never threatens our comfort zone. We need to stop worshiping a God that that we've created in our mind and allows us to be in the safety of where we want to be. And we need to start and choose today to worship a God who is supreme. Because God, the scripture says, is supreme even to God. And if God is supreme to God, he is certainly supreme to Brett. Amen? Pray with me. God, we, we pause tonight, Lord, to consider the magnitude that is you. God, we pause, Lord, guilty of having viewed you, God, of having constrained you and placed you within a box in our lives. God, we come to you, Lord, and we lay that down. We open our eyes, God. We ask that you would refocus the telescope through which we view you. God, that you would find us faithful, Lord, of, of surrendering ourselves, that we would step out of the way, God, and just be wholly surrendered. God, your magnitude is something that the Scriptures tell us we'll never fully understand, Lord, but that doesn't give us an excuse to stop trying. God, we need to understand that there's nothing in this world, there's nothing in this universe that's so big that you can't handle it. For you, God, are able and willing to do more than we can imagine. God, if we'll just set aside the inadequacy that we call God and choose to worship the supreme, the one true and living God that is you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.